right, let's uh, find our seats again. DJ and I had uh, a great trip last week celebrating uh, my parents' 60th wedding anniversary uh, down in Durango, Colorado. We spent time together, and it was a lot of fun and exciting to do. And I heard, heard you had a great service and a great message from Nick last week, and I don't get to hear it because we couldn't get it recorded because of microphone issues. But we're thankful the mics are working today, so appreciate the people that are working on that. We're going to continue doing the uh, sermons by request, um, as we've been doing all summer here. And as you might expect, uh, some of the sermons uh, pick my interests more than others uh, as I get these requests and I'm reading them in. And I, find it, I always find it interesting, no matter what people have written, just to, to see those things. But uh, uh, this particular one caught my eye. And the request itself is pretty simple and pretty specific. It says, I've always wanted to hear a sermon. Oh, you know, I had to shake your hands and I actually did forget something in my office. I forgot the rest of the request. It says, I always wanted to hear a sermon on Judas, uh, betrayal of Jesus. And if that was all they'd written, it would be a very easy sermon by request to do because you just cover the facts, you know, just the facts, ma'am, type of thing uh, of the betrayal, and it could be done. But the person went on, and I'm going to have to, I, I left it in my office, uh, so I'll have to try to remember exactly what they said. Uh, but it was, they said, I don't understand how a person who had uh, s- seen Jesus perform all those miracles was all-powerful, could betray him for a small amount of silver. Out of, he, he, the person went on and said, out of, uh, out of uh, uh, fear, I, I wouldn't have conceived of risking God's wrath. Did Judas miss the miracles? And so, as you read more of what this person said, he didn't ask another specific question, but there is a hidden question in the rest of of what he wrote, right? And the question is this. How could a person have seen all those things they saw with Jesus and not end up being a a fully sold-out believer of Jesus Christ? Or, or, or at least, if, if not a sold-out believer, at least it, it would seem to convince you enough that, hey, this guy, Jesus, really must be from God, and, and uh, whether or not I really want to follow him or not, I don't know, but I at least better play nice with him because who wants to risk getting on God's bad side, right? Because nobody wants to be uh, on God's bad side. So the question there is, how could you see those things and not believe. But then I, I think this person's request actually goes a little deeper than that because there is an unseen assumption that is behind that hidden question. And, and we want to get to that unseen assumption this morning as well. But uh, before we do that, uh, we do need to make sure we, we cover uh, the story of Judas, just so we have a decent understanding of what happened and, and an accurate understanding of, of what took place there, because we can also uh, learn some good lessons simply from his story. 
So as far as the written record of Judas' life uh, goes, the first thing we know about him uh, comes from early in the gospel messages, such as uh, Mark chapter 3. So turn to Mark chapter 3 with me and follow along as I read verses 13 through 19. And it says this, And he, being Jesus, he went up on the mountain and summoned those who he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. To them he gave the the name Boranges, which means sons of thunder. And to Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Father God, again, we thank you for what just a great opportunity to be together this morning. We thank you for the joy and privilege of being able to openly and publicly gather like this and to worship your name and to study your word together. And God, we just pray your spirit would be uh, free to work in our hearts and our minds this morning that that you, Father, would uh, guide uh, what I say so as not to hinder the message that you would want uh, each of us to receive this morning. So, Father, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so those verses we just read from Mark, uh, they come pretty early in the uh, ministry of Jesus. He spent the first 30 years of his life, basically, uh, working in the family business, learning, uh, learning that trade. But by the age of around 30, it says, he left all of that behind and, and began traveling and, and preaching the gospel message around Israel. And it didn't take him very long before he started gathering large crowds in fact, some of the people who heard him were so enthralled with, with his teachings that they were no longer content just to um, hear him when he happened to be passing through their village or, or their town. Instead, they began following him wherever he went. And so he would come to some village and he would gather a fairly good-sized crowd there just because, uh, you know, back in those days, that's great entertainment. You know, this type of thing didn't happen very often and people would come. But more than that, uh, everybody knew something exciting was happening because you had this large group of people that were following him around, hanging on his every word, listening to all his teachers. And, and uh, that happened with some of the other rabbis of that day as well, although most of them weren't itinerant preachers the people would come to them. But these group of people that constantly followed him around were known as his disciples. And, and, um, and uh, it was from this group, a larger group of disciples, that he then uh, selected 12 whom he also named as apostles. Now, you're thinking, well, why, why did he have to separate out 12 from, from all these people that were following him around? And, and Mark there specifically tells us, he says, and he appointed 12 and so that, so there's a purpose statement right there, so that they would be with him, that was the first thing, and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons. So to, to be with him meant more than just following around because the whole, the whole group was already doing that, right? 
so uh, to be with him here sp- specifically meant that Jesus was going to be training uh, uh, these people. They, they would uh, be guys who would get teaching and instruction that the, the large uh, groups wouldn't get, uh, the, on, the onlookers and the other disciples. And, and Jesus would specifically mentor them, and, and he, they would be close to him. They, they would get to observe how and why and what he did in terms of ministry. And, and all of this, it says, was for the purpose so that they could go out and then they could do ministry under Jesus' authority. They could do it in his name. They would preach the message that Jesus taught them to preach, and they would have spiritual authority that they would exercise in his name, uh, even authority over demons is what he says. And guess what? Judas was one of those 12 guys. He went with them. He was part of all this training. He was a gospel preacher. Look at what Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 says, and it says, and he, and again, that's Jesus, and Jesus called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to, to for, perform healings. So, so, so Judas, uh, along with the other 11, they did all that. They proclaimed the word of God. He healed people in Jesus' name. He was preaching the gospel. And, and I think if we just stop right there and look at Judah's story, there, there's a, a warning in there for us, right? Simply being involved, actively being involved in, in ministry. You know, you, you say that's a great thing, but but doing that in and of itself, doing ministry, doing religious things, showing up for church, none of those things guarantees spiritual health or even true spiritual life, right? Being religious, doing religious things is not enough. That's not what God was looking for. He desires and wants a real relationship with each and every one of us so that's the beginning of of judah's story one of the one of the first events that happened as far as the scripture record uh for us uh after the selecting of the 12 was was the miracle of changing water into wine at at a wedding right jesus and the disciples they were invited to this wedding but during the the wedding feast which took place after the main ceremony during that wedding feast the the wine ran out which would be a huge social blunder for the groom's family i mean it would be incredibly embarrassing to to the groom's family family and so after a bit of bantering uh back and forth with with his mother mary jesus takes charge and he tells the servants uh to to get these six big water pots that were at the entrance that the jews always kept there for the ceremonial hand washing uh, that they had to do before they went in and he wanted them to fill all those six water pots all the way to the top with water which would have been somewhere around 120 to 180 gallons of water because each pot was a 20 to 30 gallon pot 
And, and so he, the, the servants did that, and they, and they got all this water uh, gathered, and then Jesus told the, the, one of the servants to take a ladle, scoop out some water, and take it to the head waiter, the guy who was in charge of the whole feast, and give him the ladle of water. And so the servant did it, and when the head waiter tasted it, it had become wine. And, and not just, you know, El Cheapo bad wine, not, not the kind of stuff you buy in a gallon box at Walmart, right? Uh, this, this was good stuff. Uh, the, 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 the head waiter was so impressed. And, and, and the apostle John said that this miracle was a sign, okay? A, a, a sign. It pointed out the fact that Jesus was no ordinary man that uh, the result of it then john says is this this beginning of his signs jesus did in cana of galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him the 12 judas now what exactly did they believe well, we don't know for sure, right? Because Jesus had not yet taught that he was the Son of God and that he was the way of salvation and all that kind of stuff. None of that had been set out. So uh, what they would have at least at the very, we don't know for sure what all it entailed, but at the very least what it entailed was that they believed that Jesus was someone special who was sent to them by God. And there's another thing I think we have to keep in mind about Judas' story. And that is that Judas had to make some kind of commitment to Jesus. When, when Jesus did select the 12 out of, out of his large group of disciples, each of those 12 men had to make a choice, right? And, and Peter talked about that choice uh, in Matthew chapter 19. It says, Then Peter said to, to Jesus, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? So we're not going to get into Peter's motive there. It's just the whole, they had to make a choice, right? Th these guys, when Jesus selected them uh, to be an apostle, they had to make the choice to accept that position, which meant leaving their careers, leaving their hometowns, their friends, and to some degree, even their families in order to follow Jesus. And that's a huge commitment. And it's one that Judas willingly made. Now, please understand, this is not, again, a commitment to salvation, but it was a big commitment to, to Jesus as a person or, or specifically as a, as a teacher. And so the, the result of that commitment was that Judas then spent the next three years walking with Jesus. He saw the greatest life ever lived up close and personal. I mean, the, the Apostle John, right, he described Jesus as being full of grace and truth. Judas experienced that. He saw what that was like with his own eyes. One author that I read this week as I was preparing for this said this. He said, quote, you can't have a better model of faith than Jesus or a better environment for forming faith than Judas had in walking with 
the Savior. It's, it's amazing, right, to think about. Nobody ever had a better opportunity than Judas. Well, I mean, the other 11, they had the same opportunity, but those guys, no, nobody had a better opportunity than them. Judas was a front-row eyewitness to almost every miracle Jesus performed. When Jesus fed the 5,000 men plus, plus the women and children, right, uh, with just a few loaves and a couple of fishes, Judas was there. He helped distribute the food. He was part of the cleanup crew that went around and picked up the fragments left over, and there was over 12 heaping basketfuls of food. He saw all that. Judas was on the boat, fearing for his life in the middle of a, a raging storm when Jesus stood up and said, Peace, be still. He saw the wind and the waves obey this man and instantly die down in a calm and glassy sea. He saw blind people who were, giving, who were given sight. The lame running around on strong legs, leaping for joy. The deaf who heard the voices of their loved ones, maybe for the very first time in their life. And Judas, he was there for all of that. He was nearby Jesus when Jesus was comforting Martha after the death of her brother, comforting her by telling her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Judas no doubt stood in open-mouth amazement along with everybody else that was there when this brother, Lazarus, came walking out from the grave after Jesus raised him from the dead. I mean, I think it's fair to say that you can't have a better evidence for faith than what Judas had. I mean, that's at least the way we think of it. See all those things. But, but beyond even everything he saw, Judas also heard the finest teaching from the greatest of all teachers, right? J Judas, he heard the scathing rebuke that, that Jesus gave to the religious elite, condemning them for their external and superficial religiosity, right? It's just all on the outside. It's just all for show. He condemned them for that. He heard Jesus warn the Pharisees in no uncertain terms, so he knew that there was a hell that should be and could be avoided and a heaven that could be gained. He, he was there when, when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. So he knew that, that, that the gate was wide and the way was broad that leads to destruction and that there would be many who would follow that path. And he knew that the gate was small. The way was narrow that leads to life. 
Jesus, we know, taught in many parables. But frequently, he would uh, uh, allow the 12 to gain extra insight by teaching them separately after he gave the parables to the large crowds. And so Judas heard the story of the farmer sowing seed. And he knew that not everyone who heard the word of God would receive it. He heard how valuable the kingdom of heaven was, like a pearl of great price, so valuable that it was worth giving up everything, everything you had and everything you owned in order to gain heaven. With the rest of the crowds, he would have listened intently and with shocked amazement as Jesus told the story of the prodigal son and from that he would have learned that there is a loving God who is eager to receive and to forgive those who come to him. But you know what? Hearing and knowing those truths is not the same thing as accepting them. And I think if the story of of Judas proves one thing, it's that a person can receive the very best teaching. They, they can witness the most compelling evidence and they can observe the greatest example and they can still make the wrong choice. I mean, after all this that Judas experienced, he still chose to betray Jesus for the relatively small sum of 30 pieces of silver. And the question, you know, that comes to our mind, the question that this person wrote about, how? How could that happen? And before we we answer that how question, I I do want to just offer up a, a quick word of encouragement here to any parent, any teacher, to any person out there who is grieved because someone they love has turned their back and walked away from the faith. And maybe you're like that now or you know someone that's dealing with that that pain of of, uh, a child, a brother or a sister, maybe even a parent, someone else you love that that just has walked away from the faith. And and if you have dealt with that, you, you know that that, causes a lot of questions to be asked. We wonder things like, did I do something wrong? Could I have done something different? Did I somehow fail in in what I taught them? Or or was the example that I set flawed? I mean, we know none of us are perfect, right? But, But did we just blow it somehow? The story of Judas reminds us that a person can be in the best possible situation for the cultivation of faith, right? They can hear all the right messages. They can see the most compelling evidences of God's work, and they can have the best role model possible in you or in others, and yet they can walk away from all that. 
And that actually gets to the point of answering the question of why did Judas, how could Judas have done what he did after he saw what he saw and heard what he heard? See, the, the issue is not the environment the person was in. The perfect teaching, the, the, the ideal role model, the compelling evidence. The issue is the heart. And, and, and as wonderful and as beneficial as, as those things are, having that great teaching and, and a good role model and, and clear evidence, all that kind of stuff, those things in and of themselves cannot change the human heart. The prophet Jeremiah had this to say uh, about our hearts. He says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? You know, when he says our hearts are deceitful, he's not, he's not merely talking about our propensity to, to lie. He means that our hearts will fool us. They'll trick us. Human hearts will make a wrong seem right. A course of action that someone else can see as full of pitfalls and snares and traps will appear to them to be a nice, broad highway of success. The heart is deceitful. It's desperately sick, meaning it's not naturally going to lead you in the way of spiritual health and strength, but in the opposite direction. It is sly and and cunning and always leading towards your downfall. Maybe maybe you've uh, heard the advice that says, just follow your heart. Stupid advice. Uh, If you've given that advice to someone... I'm not picking on you because I think we've all been there and done that. We've, we've said that kind of thing before, but we, we have to stop it, right? Did you know that we have good biblical evidence to tell us that Judas was just following his heart when he betrayed Jesus? Jesus and all the disciples were gathered together for what we call the Last Supper. Jesus washed the disciples' feet, all of the disciples, including Judas' feet, given this incredible example of of love and service. And yet in the midst of all that, we read this, during supper, so this would have been after the foot washing, during supper, the, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. In the heart. You see, the heart is desperately sick and deceitful. It's a fertile place for Satan's schemes. And Judas just followed his heart. You know, that verse in, in Jeremiah ends by asking this question about, about the heart. It says, who can know it or who can understand it? And the implied answer is, no one can. I mean, the truth is, you, you can't even understand your own heart, right? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand here, but have you ever been in a situation where you've asked yourself, oh man, why on earth did I do or say, and you can fill in the blank with whatever it is that you, you did. Why, why did I do that? You did whatever you did because your heart 
tricked you. It is deceitful and desperately wicked, and because that's the place where Satan will lay his traps. Now understand, that's not an excuse, right? It's still your heart. You are responsible for the choices you make, but it is a warning to us. Don't follow the advice that says follow your heart. People have often tried to figure out exactly what lie did did Satan use to entice Judas to betray Jesus. And I've read and seen where some have said, well, Judas, he didn't really even mean to betray Jesus. He, Judas actually believed that, Je- that Jesus was the Messiah and, and that he was going to rise up and become king of Israel and, and rule over there, but things weren't happening fast enough, and so that Judas just thought by doing what he did, it would force Jesus' hand to take action and, and, and to take his rightful place. Others have you know, given other reasons, some say, well, he was a greedy person and there's evidence of that and, and it was just the money or, you know, whatever. It really doesn't matter because uh, since the Bible doesn't tell us, any guess that we make is, is nothing more than a speculation as to what his motive might have been. What we do know, what the Bible does tell us clearly is that Satan implanted a thought, something deep in his heart a lie, because that's Satan's M.O., right? He uses lying. And that Judas followed his heart. And you know, Satan uses the same tactics today. People hear the good news uh, of the gospel message. They, they hear the teaching uh, of God's love and compassion and his willingness to forgive and to save them. They see compelling evidence in lives that have been changed uh, around them, the, the miracles of God's grace. They see all that, and they still turn away. And, and we think, man, how can that be? And the answer is that the heart is deceitful and sick. You know, I, 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 think we, I think we like to think that we would be different than Judas, than the disciples, right? Frequently we read uh, about some great event happening in the Gospels, you know, a miracle that Jesus performed. But then afterwards we, receive, we read that well, the disciples just didn't get it, right? And we think, man, what a bunch of blockheads, uh, you know? And, and we think, more than that, we think it, it, it would be different with us, with me, right? If I saw w- uh, Jesus, if I was alive back then, right, I would have gotten it. I would have reacted different than those dim-witted disciples. Do you know why we think that? Because the heart is deceitful. It tricks us into thinking we're way better than we are. We like to think that somehow we're more discerning, we're more logical, we're, we're more intelligent, or maybe we're more spiritually in tune than any of the disciples were. But the truth is, we're no better than any of them, including Judas. See, the only difference is when a heart is given to God. And God transforms it. God is the only one who understands the heart. And he is also 
the only one who has the power to transform it. And understand that 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 transformation process is an ongoing development and process, right? It it doesn't uh, instantly change us. But it does give us a new heart with a new desire to follow God. And see, without, without a new heart, a person can be religious. They can do religious things. They can even serve in ministry, as we saw from Judas. But they only can do it for a time. And then they can walk away from everything they said they believed. So we, we looked at that hidden question in the story of Judas. How could a person see what he saw and still betray Jesus? And, and the answer is the deceitfulness and sickness of the heart. But I also said there's an unseen assumption behind that hidden question. And I want to end with that unseen assumption. And the assumption says this. If you see something, that should make you believe. That should convince you. Why didn't Judas believe after all the amazing things he saw from Jesus? But did you know that's actually a very dangerous assumption? And and it's a common one, especially in in our scientific day and age, right? Uh, Not not only as we look back at Judas, but, but... for people right now. And it's an assumption that, that Satan is going to use to his advantage. As the time of the end draws near, we receive this warning uh, from Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. It says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders. So as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Now the word for signs and, and in that verse is, is the same word that was used to describe the miracles of Jesus. These false teachers will perform miracles. In fact, it says great miracles. So if you're just basing your faith on what you see, well, you can very easily be deceived. People today say seeing is believing, right? Or if you noticed in the bulletin what I put for the title of the message, I'll believe it when what? When I see it. But like so many other things, the scripture turns that completely upside down. Instead, it teaches that believing is seeing. The Bible uh, tells us that, that true faith is not built on what you can see. It is built on trusting God in what He has said. It is taking God at His word for what He has done. And as we believe, then we will see God at work. We will see the truth of his word and and how it makes sense. We will see in a way that the world is completely blind to. Our hearts will then begin 
to be changed. When as Christians, we don't follow our hearts. Instead, we follow the one who is now in charge of our heart. And that's the lesson we can learn from Judas. I have a question. What is your faith built on? Is it built on the truth of God's word, on what he has proclaimed? Another question. Judas was very involved in the life of Jesus, doing ministry in his name, preaching the gospel, doing all kinds of things. Where where are you at? Remember, it's not about being religious, doing religious things. Have you given your life, have you given your heart to Jesus Christ? That's the life that will be saved and that will be transformed by God's power. Let's pray. Father God, again, we thank you for the the account of Judas, it's a, it's a sad and scary story, but it's a warning for us. Oh God, you are a, a loving God, a merciful God, a God who saves. But we must give our hearts to you. So God, if there's anyone here this morning who was thinking, well, I, I go to church, I, I do these things. Oh God, Draw them in by your love to that relationship that you want to have with them. We pray this in Jesus' name.